Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that will always call it Twitter, never X, and that's that. On today's pod, we're quickly revisiting a frustrating night in the northeast, but not for long because Molyneux grabs the attention. A City attempt to win their opening seven games of a season for the first time since 1897. I believe Scott Carson was a young up-and-coming keeper in that side. Can they do it minus their peerless Spaniard Rodri? Let's ask our guests. Today I've been spoiled because today I've got the big dogs, they being Lloyd and Asan. Lloyd, are you there and where are you? Yeah, I'm there. Uh, I'm in Greece on holiday. Lovely stuff. And how's the weather? It's been pretty iffy, you know, actually, Steve. Uh, This was meant to be a washout day, but actually it looks okay. But there's been quite a bit of rain, but... Um, I, I hear that that's standard for these parts, apparently. So, uh, yeah, well, as long as, as long as you're having a nice time, that's all that matters, whether or not. <laughs> you sound so sincere when you said yeah, that. I mean, yeah. I, know, I can't I'm, complain. I'm, <laughs> about as long as you're me. having a nice time. <laughs> There's like about ten percent of me well exactly feel quite glad that the weather's not great, and I don't know what that says about me. It does not reflect well. Love. I know, I know, that does not reflect well on me at all. I can only apologise. Uh, Asad, are you there? And were you also secretly slightly pleased when you heard that the weather's not great? Oh, definitely. I mean, he's in Greece, <laughs> and so exactly like, fla- flashing his uh, flashing his class in that way. And I was like, yeah, I hope I hope the weather's terrible out there, lad. <laughs> and f- and for the record, it's glorious in Ibiza. I've Dude, been for a run. It's lovely here, yeah, guys. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's not only is it glorious here, but I'm in Wales, which is better than Greece. So <laughs> win, win. <laughs> Excellent. Um. We're only going to quickly kind of uh, skim over the surface of Wednesday's defeat at Newcastle because it was pretty depressing, pretty grim. Um, good first half performance, I'd say. Terrible second half performance. Um, so, Lloyd, I want to come to you first. Actually, I'm going to start with you, Aysan, because I'm not going to talk about the performance yet. I want to talk about how we, we feel about it. How did mm-hmm. you actually feel about going out? Because we make jokes about how the League Cup is our cup. Um, all the nonsense, and it is nonsense, of course it is, about the quadruple this year and stuff. That's gone. None of that really matters. The fact is, we've exited a domestic trophy, and that is always going to hurt, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean... I- more than anything, I don't like losing games of football, and yeah, I, I think yeah. that we've been we've been spoiled to the point where it feels sort of weird to lose. But then on top of that, I think for me, it's more the manner of the second half that I, I just it, I found it like really annoying, like like a mosquito bite annoying because it was like we just we d- we didn't play well in the second half, and we allowed Newcastle to. I want to say bully us in a way, certainly physically in moments. Um, and so that was just, it was just a bit disappointing. But then when I saw Pep's subs, it was a bit like, they don't care about winning this game. So yeah. why should I care? Yeah. I mean, with it clashing with a world club uh, competition, then basically we would have played the kids against United and we would lose exactly. to United. So yeah, at least we've avoided that. Um, Lloyd, how did you feel about going out? And what was your overall thought on the performance? So, to be honest, quite happy we went out. Um, I know that sounds really weird, um, but having kind of looked at this season, the way that it plays out with the Club World Cup, the fact that we probably would have had a clash down deep in December, 
just the injuries, etc. I just think of all years, this is just the one where if we're going out, I, I actually think it's a help rather than a hindrance. And I say that as someone that, you know, I feel like I'm quoting Hocking here, but loves the Carabao. Um, and, you know, going to Wembley's great. And I just think it's a good kind of kickstart to the season. But no, I was I, I was quite unfussed. Not nice to lose, to lose like that. Mm. And, you know, I, I was a bit annoyed on the night, but I think, honestly, I took a step back within about two minutes of the final whistle and was like, I think I think this actually could be a good thing for us. Um, in terms of the performance, I thought we actually played really well first half without kind of, you know, creating too much. I think Alvarez obviously should have scored. But second half, we really just got overrun by you know them bringing Isaac and Gordon on they just up the tempo and we kind of shut the bed a bit and I think you saw you know some of the kind of lesser players a little bit exposed um and I'm sure we're gonna have a big chat about hmm. one of them individually yeah well let's do that now uh we should say he, Calvin Phillips was not alone in looking rusty um Jack Grealish looked rusty Kovacic looked rusty entirely understandable of course because they were coming back from injury um so let's start with that pertinent point about Calvin Phillips rustiness before we get on to him and well other factors but his rustiness eh, and that's understandable isn't it Calvin Phillips because you know let's face it he's hardly played a minute yeah, I don't know where I don't know where I land on that. To be honest with you, I I, I just found I, I found his performance to be not the the performance of a guy who's been training with this group of players and this manager for over a year now. Mm. I think that I understand there's some rustiness stuff that happens when you don't play football, but I also think there's a lot of kind of structural, basic stuff that you've got you've just got to learn and you've got to know. And I, I feel as though the defeatism in my voice is reflected by the defeatism in his performance. I think he looked like a player who knows that he's not going to be in this team for long. Um, and I feel like he's a little bit in his own head. Like I feel as though is his sort of, I think really early on, he gives the ball away and you see him berate himself. And I kind of, Obviously, in that moment, you feel bad for him. But then at the same time, it's like, I mean, you're you're a professional and you're very highly paid professional playing in probably the best team in the world with the best coaches and the best facilities. And you've got every opportunity and you've got an incredible platform to show your talent. Um, and Wednesday night was a Carabao Cup game with the best will in the world. It's like a low-pressure environment to come into mm. to perform. And so, yeah, I, I just overall... And also, I think a little bit, and again, like, I don't mean to pan him, but it's like the day before, he's like, yeah, this is the biggest week of my City career. Like, I've got an opportunity, all of those things. And then he goes and plays exactly like he did the first time he stepped on the pitch for City over a year ago and it's like well you've not learned anything you've not mm. there's not a single aspect of your game that has improved even five percent in the year that you've been training with this coach and these players so something's going wrong Lloyd I know this is an impossible kind of question to answer because it's entirely interpretive but just from your kind of interpretation of, of matters it looks on my end like Calvin Phillips you know he's playing as a Leeds player in a City um, kind of you know set up and indeed we'll get on to Pep's comments very shortly to what degree do you think is that 
stubbornness from the player? Is that purposeful from the player? Or is it an inability for Calvin Phillips to adapt to City's methods? Yeah, I, I don't think it's purposeful from Phillips. Um, but I do think there's there's a lot from him and his performance, which just it just kind of boggles the mind a little bit. So Asam refers then to you know him doing the interview saying this is the kind of biggest week of my mm. City career. Well, I don't think you saw that really much from his from his performance. And I think the thing that I've always found a bit weird about Phillips's play in general is I thought he did okay until the 41st minute when he gives that ball away. And then um, Jacob Murphy goes on the break and Ortega makes a good save. And if you watch when he gives the ball away, the guy just jogs. Mm. And like in his position, if you give the, if you give the ball away, you know, they're going to have a run at our back four and you're going to rely on someone like Guardiola or Ake to kind of pull you out of the mud and make an interception. But so often when, when Phillips does make a mistake or when he's kind of back in transition, I just it just looks like he's lackadaisically running back. And I just I find that really, really odd, particularly given how much of a big chance it is for him. And it's been consistent through his very, very scant appearances for City. And I've had a few kind of debates with people online about whether that's because he's just not up to speed or whether he actually just can't be asked. And it's it's tough because to me it looks a little bit like he can't be asked, which yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Um, so I'll give it to him that maybe he's just not up to speed and it looks like he's playing in treacle. But the people this week who are still saying Phillips deserves a chance and he's in second season pep syndrome and blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, but you're not using the eyes that God has fucking given you. Like the guy is so clearly not at the level. And I, after that Murphy chance, he kind of... His game fell away a bit and he, he looked a bit lost. Um, so I think Pep's comments really kind of closed the door on on, on the Phillips issue. Um, well, and that performance yeah. did absolutely nothing to to bring him back in. Let's discuss those comments then. What did you make of him, Asa? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually quite surprised. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't be because Pep's pretty honest um, when when he wants to be. Um, but I think bearing in mind what Guardiola had said at the end of the window about wanting to loan him out and, you know, it kind of, it, to me, it was like a, a an indirect way of going, you can't have a go at me for not playing him because we told him he wasn't going to play and that he should go somewhere and he chose not to go. And if he's chosen not to go, that's on him. He's a good character around the dressing room, so that's fine. But like the one line that Pep didn't say, which was the implicit, was he's not going to play. So having said that, at the end of the window, I was quite surprised that he went in in the way that he did again this week. And I think it just really hammers home um, what a catastrophic failure Phillips has been as a signing. And I think that there's something, uh, there's, that in general, we all are football supporters. We have blind spots, right? We, we Football makes us irrational. I've, I, I always think about what Stefan told me around around Cass and all that sort of stuff where he was like, you know, you can get the, the highest level, smartest barrister, judge, whatever. When it comes to football, they lose their minds. They become children again. So I get that we're all, we can all be a little bit, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, but we can all be a little bit something around football. But I'm quite surprised at how 
many people still, even after everything that Pep said and after that performance, still think there's something to redeem there. There's nothing to redeem. The fella's gone in January. It's done. And even if he doesn't go in January, he will only not go because he wants to pick his wage up until the end of the season. But he won't play any meaningful minutes. So <coughs> part of me almost feels as though even the amount of time that we've spent on this conversation this morning <laughs> is a bit like, why are we talking about some fella who just ain't going to be here in a year? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think we had these sort of deep dives when when Nolito was on his last legs or, or lads like that. I mean, it just I think we're so so used to players succeeding and, and we're so used to to yeah just to to players coming in and eventually making the grade that I think it's okay to will a player to want to do well but I think like Lloyd said not only you got to use your eyes you got to use your ears and listen to what Pep said like Guardiola's been uh, mm. politely brutal about Calvin and that tells me everything that I need to know um, Lloyd just to extend on what Aeson said there um, can you conceive of any possible future world where Calvin Phillips is a Manchester City player in 12 months' time? And whether you do or don't... No. Right, okay, so <laughs> we can move on from that one. Um, <laughs> ultimately then, when he moves on, where where would the blame lie? Does it blame entirely with the player? Or should Pep, as, as he kind of candidly said, you know, he's failed him. Um, which would, should some of the blame go on? When I say blame, I just basically mean a manager making a mistake, which, you know, is rare as hair, hen's teeth for Pep Guardiola, but every manager makes a mistake. Um, so in that regard, you know, where, where would the blame lie ultimately, do you think? So I'd, I'd put it like this. I think up until the end of last season, obviously the club and Cheeky and whoever kind of scouts the player has to take some of the blame because they brought him in and he didn't adapt and a lot of that is down to Phillips uh, and obviously there are stories about you know his first week at City and what the coaching staff thought but I think when this summer elapses like it did they obviously told him that he'd be better off seeking football elsewhere he turns it down knowing probably what his chances were like and then and then the season starts and like the guy just didn't play in any of the first games like McAtee came off the bench ahead of him at Burnley I, I, I say that often but like that was just like come on mate the guy wasn't even here last season and we ended up loaning him to Sheffield hmm. I think I think a lot more of the blame has to fall on Phillips because that he was pretty unarsed about seeking regular football and it's he it's a Euros yeah and Southgate always speaks about how he, he's the next guy behind Declan Rice. So, yeah, I'd have put a lot of it on City, but I think after this summer, Phillips has to take a lot of the brunt. And to me, it's a bit, it's a lack of ambition from him not to go and seek regular football. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to the Wolves game um, tomorrow. Um, really looking forward to this. It always provides something, doesn't it? It's always, you know, it seems to be red cards as well, seems to be commonplace in this fixture. Uh, but let's start with the lineup predictions, and I'll start with you first, Asan. Um, Edison and Walker are expected to be back um, after being rested midweek. Any further changes in, in that back five, do you think? Obviously, Diaz will come back. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think I think it'll be Walker, Diaz, Akanji, and Ake or um, Gvardiol is a little bit of a toy coin toss. Uh, I think it'll be Nunes and Kovacic. And then uh, I think it'll be Phil, Alvarez, Doku and Haaland. That 
is what I think the team will be. So what, what's your midfield, sorry? Uh, Nunes and Kovacic. Right, yes, yeah, okay. Um, Lloyd, any, any kind of disagreements with any of that? No, I think that's bang on, really. Um, I think Kovacic is the only one of the kind of returning players that probably comes back in. Mm. Otherwise, it's the same team that's played the last two. And yeah, I think the front four will be, as we've had, so kind of Phil and Doku on the... Obviously, that's kind of in quotation marks because Phil has played a lot centrally on the pitch. Um, and then, yeah, Alvarez and Haaland, I would expect. I think there's a chance maybe... Grealish plays over Alvarez just because Alvarez has played a lot mm. um, and obviously he started the other day but I, I, st- I still think that'll be the front four and yeah we've not really got any options in midfield so I think it has to be Nunes Kovacic because I don't think Bernardo's back is he I think he's still he's still out um, Rodri suspended and Phillips is a competition winner so yeah I think, it, I think it's those two Fair enough. Um, looking at the opposition, they're kind of a hard team to work out, really. Um, they are so consistently wasteful of chances. And you can extend this to, to last season as well. Um, they're the lowest chance conversion rate in the Premier League last season. They have again this season. Um, and yet they create so many opportunities. Um, I kind of want to come just quickly to each of you on this. Hey, some of you made of Wolves. Have you seen much of them this season? I have, weirdly. <clears throat> seen a few of their games. I mean... <laughs> they've they're a funny team in so far as they can look okay for 15 minutes and you can think oh their wolves are all right got a couple of decent players and then they can look awful for 20 and you think oh my god the team could score six against them so a very difficult team but i think they're also they're they're a little bit of a mishmash in terms of the different managers but different players different styles of football. I almost feel as though whatever Gary O'Neill's idea of football is won't even be like visible until December because Julian Lopetegui had such a specific way of playing and he drilled those players at, at such a level that O'Neill's first few games, it sort of felt a little bit like this is not O'Neill's coaching that we're seeing here. This is the coaching that they'd had previously mm. that that we're seeing. So, so yeah, I think in that sense, I think they're a very difficult team to predict. And, <clears throat> you know, whenever whenever there's a record on the line, so like when you say like City have not won seven on the bounce <laughs> yes. since, since 18, whatever, my first thought is, well, we know what's happening tomorrow then, yep. don't we? Do you know what I mean? So yep. now I'm immediately a little bit more apprehensive than than I should be. But no, look, I think I think on the balance of probabilities and, and the balance of talent, um, I would expect us to to get through it and, and get the three points. But I do think that we have to be really cognizant of the fact that we've got no idea how this team functions without Rodri. We're about to find out. Um, I don't think we got any insight in midweek, which I think is probably my my bigger disappointment in the kind of in the greater scheme of things is we lost so much control in the second half uh, in midweek that it kind of frightened me in that like I don't want that to be the I, I, what worries me is opposition coaches look at that and they go actually without Rodri City can't handle 
pressure. If you go and if you step onto them man for man, they can't handle the pressure without Rodri because he's in many respects like the the guy who releases all the pressure because you can have a big high press and he'll come and collect the ball and you know he'll shuffle sideways and he'll move the ball five yards and he'll pick a pass and suddenly sit you out. And um, now obviously we've got a lot of other players who on paper should be able to do that. But the fact that we didn't see any of it on Wednesday has definitely made me more nervous than I would normally be. Well, we have lost four from 14 of the Premier League games that Rodri has not appeared in for City. Um, but of course, and you could also throw in, you know, Wednesday night. I know it's not a Premier League, but, you know, he still wasn't playing and we lost. So that record could be even worse if we look across the competitions. Um Lloyd, what have you made of, of Wolves? Do you see them as a genuine threat this weekend? Yeah, I've, I've actually weirdly seen a decent amount of Wolves Same this here. season yeah, as yeah. well. Um, I don't know why, they must have just been on telly. Um, yeah. I mean, first up, first game of the season against United, they were brill. Like, I thought they played really well in that game. They were super unlucky not to get a point, got robbed with the Inanna decision. Um, and I, I generally think, They've looked okay. Like Gary O'Neill, a bit like a Bournemouth. You feel like he's coming in at, in very kind of testing circumstances, which should mean that they're a pile of garbage. But they've looked okay. I mean, they, they, they still look like Wolves the last couple of seasons where, you know, since Jimenez had that head injury, they've just lacked that cutting edge. And, you know, in Neto um, and Pedence, obviously they've got players that, you know, creative. I think Pedence has moved on now. Neto have always rated. They just can't put it in the back of the net. Um, but I think it is a test. And look, I, annoyingly, kind of for balance, I, I do really agree with Ace. And I think I am a bit worried about how we're going to play without Rodri. Um, we just haven't seen it, really. We should be mm. fine. Um, I also expect that their fans are going to give Nunes a fucking hard time uh, on Saturday because... They were not happy with how he exited the club. And I think from what I've seen on social media, they're planning a bit of a boo fest on on Saturday um and to let him to let him know that they don't uh, they don't rate him. So that could be interesting. Because I think Nunes is definitely gonna start. Um so yeah, I think it could be a bit trickier than than it would be. You know, if, if Rodri was playing, who I think f- you know, for full disclosure, I think he's our most important player. Um, I think he's the one player you take out the team, the levels most likely to drop. Haaland, as good as he is, I think we can we can cover him and replace him in a different way, even though he is a complete freak and he's a one-off. So yeah, I think if you know if, if Roger was playing, this would be like a three three nil kind of. I'm totally comfortable about this game with him out. A little bit more nervous. On uh, the Nunes thing, I, I read some uh, quotes from him this week where he was kind of saying it's unfinished business and he's got a point to prove by going back to Wolves and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I was just thinking, hang on, he didn't show, by his own admission, he didn't show his best form at Wolves. He didn't show them the best of him. And then he forces through a move to, a, to another club. And now he's going back there kind of like, you know, in this kind of antagonistic manner of like, I'll show them. It's like modern football, man. That's no reflection on Nunes, by the way. That's just a reflection on modern football. It's just so warped. Anyway, um, I digress. Aysan, is there any City player you're concerned about right now as regards to form or fitness? Um, I mentioned at the top that there was a couple of players who looked rusty uh, against Newcastle. Um, let's hope, obviously, you know, that doesn't happen this weekend. Is, is there anyone you're, you're worried about? 
Why do I get the hand grenade question? (laughs) How am I meant to answer that without having to shut my timeline down? No. Um, uh, Obviously, I think uh, Grealish has carried on his uh, end of last season form into this season. Um, I don't don't think that's great, but um, obviously he's coming back from an injury. I'm going to use obviously a lot. Obviously, Doku has... um, filled that void whilst Grealish has been out. So I'm not like, it's not like I'm massively concerned because we have another lad who's delivering and you would expect that, that or you hope that that competition will uh, will will certainly get Jack to raise his game. I think, again, like you, if, you, if you want to get into the weeds of what you learn from Wednesday or what might make you nervous from Wednesday, what would make me nervous from Wednesday is... Grealish has had probably three or four weeks of watching Doku play in his position and he didn't do anything on Wednesday that made me think, oh, okay, he's he's got, like, you know, he, he's here to fight for his yeah. shirt. He's here yeah. to show that, like, he'll, yeah, it just, it didn't really feel like that. It felt like a little bit rinse and repeat of of some of his not-so-great performances and, and that was a little bit disappointing, bearing in mind the context of, the fact that whilst he's been out of the team, another lad's come in and hit the ground running. And I think the bigger worry for him should be that when Doku comes on and he gets moved centrally and Doku plays on the left, suddenly we look like a completely different team. Certainly on that side, we look like we have an outlet. I think first time he gets the ball, his skins Livramento goes around the outside of him um, and nearly creates a, a lovely, lovely chance for Phil that passes it. To see the, vi- to have the vision to try and attempt that pass is already really impressive from Doku and then to attempt it and just be maybe half a yard off with it is super impressive. So I think, a little bit the 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 contrast of what happened when he moved centrally and Doku moved to the left should probably concern him a little bit. Well, I will share the vitriol and, and agree with every word mm. you just said. So there you go. So if you're going to come at anything on social media, come at me too, because uh, <laughs> I, I agree with much of that. Um, yeah, so just to jump in on Asan's answer and Grealish specifically, I think... The criticism has been way over the top from people saying things like Doku's ended Grealish's career and other nonsense that I've seen on Twitter. But I did expect more from him. Um, and I do think Doku adapting as quickly as he has, which to be honest has been a surprise, I think that should put the shits up Grealish. The, I think the issue with what you saw midweek is that Grealish almost reverted to first six months Grealish where he was just not willing to take a risk, cuts inside, doesn't dribble at the man, gives gives the ball to the central midfielder. And obviously what Doku's brought is that individuality, that ability to beat a man, that kind of 1v1, which is what Grealish has only really offered when he's been at his best. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's really going to make him up his game. But I think that's a good thing, to be honest. And Jack felt very safe in that position towards the end of last season. I don't think that's a good thing in terms of being threatened by somebody else. And we did go into the season being like, God, who's going to play left wing if Grealish is out? So I think it's a good thing. And I also think the success that he's had now at City, key part of the Trevor winning team, etc., it's a bit easier to bench that £100 million player than it probably yeah. would have been last season in terms of the noise. So I think all those things together, it's a good thing. But yeah, we do need to see Grealish respond because I think he will be warming the bench for a while if if those performances kind of persist. 
I don't kind of wholly agree, or, or was, I'm going to chuck a doubt in there anyway about about it being potentially a good thing. I certainly think it's a good thing from a city perspective, and you know, in regards to having competition on that side. But Grealish himself has said repeatedly he's a confidence player, and he he, he always needs to feel loved. And um, you know, he re- in a recent interview he just reeled off every game of um, what he started. I sure he's like, oh, and there was October where I played this game, this game, this game, and and then you know everyone expected me to be dropped, but he played me again, and uh, and this is when he was thriving. So he seems to when he feels loved by a manager and wanted. That's when you get the best out of Jack Grealish. Maybe I'm only putting this in as maybe. Um, I don't. Yeah, and I'd also say that maybe Greenish. Yeah, but he's a big, he's a big boy though. He's a yeah, he's but a big in terms boy, of how it, how it yeah, translates okay. to his performances, that's yeah, that's fine. But you know, if if you play for City every year, you get, someone else is going to get that's a sign that's going to threaten your position. Yeah, um, and he, he's look. I think the problem before was that he hadn't proven himself at this level. The difference now is that he has proved himself at this level. He was a key part of the treble winning team. Now he just needs to respond. It's not like he's got imposter syndrome. It's now just up to him to prove that he's at the level again. I I don't think it's the same as last season in the sense that he feels like maybe he's not kind of, he's not part of the furniture. He's proved that he can be part of the furniture. Now it's up to him to prove that he can kind of push Doku out of the team. So I know what you mean, but I would make, I would make a distinction on that basis to be honest. Okay. Okay. Um, Asan, how do you think um, this weekend will play out then? Lloyd's also already said about, well, and, and you've also said that we're just not sure how we're going to play without Rodri. And of course, that's going to be a big factor, but you would expect us to dominate possession, seek to get control of the game, Wolves to counter, but are the dangerous on the counter as well? Um, is that how you see it kind of generally playing out? Yeah, very much so. I think <clears throat> Pedro Neto is a really good player. Uh, I think he's kind of, I always say this, that the Premier League is, almost every team in the Premier League have got one player that can just do you. Do you know what I mean? Like they could just, they can do something and suddenly they've scored a goal. And I think Neto is that player for them. Um, I do do expect us to dominate possession. But I also, you know, as, as much as obviously Rodri being out makes me nervous, I think on the flip side, Haaland, Foden, Alvarez, (laughs) Doku, um, Nunes, Kovacic, Walker, Diaz, Kanji, Gvardiol or Ake. I mean, I'm sorry, but that team should be wiping the floor with Wolves, regardless of of Rodri being being out. And that's not trying to be arrogant or take the piss. It's just the levels are the levels and City won the treble because of how high their levels are. And this season, we've won six on the spin in the league because of how high the levels have been. And, and we've got, I think one of the most impressive things for me is right now, each Premier League performance has been incrementally better than the previous one. Um, and that's that should be a frightening prospect for everybody else, but it should be a really exciting prospect for us. Um, and yeah, like, I guess last thing is you can turn the whole Rodri thing on its head and you can say, look, I'm excited to see us perform without Rodri because that'll remove the fear factor that we have of Rodri being injured or being out. If we go to Wolves and we wipe the floor with them and, and Kovacic and Nunes run the show in the middle and Phil drops a little bit deeper and helps them out and, you know, we, we, it, we mm. don't, it doesn't, we don't, basically we don't break our stride in terms of performances and results. Well, you know, then that sends a, that sends a message to everybody in the league because trust me, I listen to podcasts from, from, 
what people consider to be neutrals and even some rival clubs and everything that everybody says is built around, yeah, but if City lost Rodri, it'd be a completely different scenario. And I think that now that we've lost him, we need to perform without him because then that can be put to bed as well. Okay. Um, score prediction, Aitam? 3-1-C. Okay, I'm going to go 3-0 City. Uh, Lloyd? Hmm. No, I don't think we'll score that many. Um, I think 1-0. or two nil. Okay. I'm going to go 2-0. Uh, and before we move on, let's hear what the opposition think in the form of Luke uh, from Wolves Fancast, who spoke to Howard earlier this week. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke from Wolves Fancast. Uh, good morning, Luke. How are you? I'm good, Howard. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. It's the weekend almost, isn't it? So. And the sun shining. Well, the sun shining here anyway. It's about the only it, positive we've got at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm in Manchester, and yes, it is actually shining here for a bit, so I'm sure it'll be raining within about two hours. So thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I often say that more to fans who are not very happy with their team right now and or club, and I think that's fair to say you're not you're not really happy with the situation at Wolves right now. Fuming, mate. <laughs> I'm <not> fuming. <laughs> Absolutely fuming. Fuming. There's no better word is just to describe when your, your club messes up, is there? So. No. I mean, where do you start then? Oh, God. 1986 a year old for one of the It's the price we have to pay when you support a, a mediocre football club. <laughs> Should they be, though? Oh no, no, we shouldn't. We've we've messed it up, Howard. I'm not gonna lie, we we've messed it up. We've completely messed it up. We're in the sheet, we're shit, the owners are shit, the players are shit, the manager's shit, everything's just shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your accent might get us through the swear filter there as well. So well we're not gonna go back to nineteen eighty six, but let's go back to the summer then. What mm-hmm. what on earth went on? You lose what I would consider, and I'm sure you would, a superb manager. Mm-hmm. And everything spirals from there, does it not? He's given, I don't know if you've seen, uh, he gave a Lopetegui, if I said it right, gave an interview in The Athletic uh, today. don't know if you've yeah, seen that. And he just um... talks about no support for the project, basically. He, he got you into a much better place, and then, bang, players go. No budget whatsoever. Of course, you had that. Uh, was it your chairman or that uh, yeah, put out um, a missive about basically FFP and uh, you were there would basically be one as if you'd just been promoted rather than a regular Premier League side and I guess the spiral all started there didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, I mean, I mentioned to you just before we went um, we started recording that I've been ranting this morning on Twitter and in WhatsApp groups and whatnot, and it stems from that article in the Athletic today. Mm. Um, it just doesn't make for good reading at all. Um, mm. I mean, even if we go back to the summer, um, with, with Lopetegui leaving, managers come, managers go, uh, players come, players go. Obviously, we've lost uh, Neves, Nunes, mm. which I'm sure we'll touch on later, um, Traore, Raul, you know, a lot of players left. But from my point of view, that that's never really a problem. 
you know, you you know yourself as a City fan, players come, players go. Yeah. But it's and, and no player or no manager will ever be bigger than the club. Never, ever, ever. Um but it's it's how you you replace them. Yeah. And that is what clubs will live and and die by. And at the moment, it looks like we're dying by it. Obviously, you know, if, if there's any scum for poor South fan, fans listening now, they'll be like, shut up, mate, you know, you're in Premier League club. Yeah. Um, I get that. But, you know, it's from, from my point of view and in my opinion, it doesn't look good at all and it looks completely mismanaged. Um, going back to the summer and, and like you mentioned all the FFP stuff that that was coming out in in the press from from the board and, and the club I I'll be honest with you I don't really understand FFP too much I mm. personally feel it's just a tool that's been put in place to protect the big six um it, and it may not surprise you that, uh, that yeah I but, feel the same so so I, you know I can't say I fully understand it um in regards to what you can lose and what period it's over and when the period starts and when it begins and all that confusing crap. But from from my point of view, I'm I'm reading that and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> how how yeah. are we how are we struggling with FFP so bad? You know, I'm not saying that we're a cash rich club, but yeah, we've we've spent some money, but we've also um gathered a lot of money back as well mm. from from player sales so i'm not saying that we we was in a position to go and spawn 150 million pound this summer but to to be reading that we haven't got a pot to piss in basically sorry for my language language but we haven't got a pot to it's all right it's, it's allowed okay but, but you know to, to say that we're struggling as much as we were as you know as fans from all around the country and, and the world would have read it, it just made no sense to me Really made no sense. It was so confusing. Uh, well, I don't want to trick you, but your most recent tweet, Fos and Jeff C. Obviously, you're putting a lot of blame on the owners here for what's happened mm. in the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It for me, that's where it starts and that's where it stops. Obviously, players and coaches and management staff and whatever that have got a sense of responsibility as well. You know, there's, there's no denying that, but. Um, for me, we've got owners now who have they lost interest? Is is there something deeper going on? But either way, they don't want to put no money in the club. And there's mm. no way that anyone from Folsom can look me in the eye and say, we ain't got no money to invest in this football club. Because if that's what they're trying to say, then someone's lying along the line. They're, they're worth too much money. And in regards to Jeff Shee, you know, I'm sure he's an absolutely fantastic businessman. At growing a brand and all that sort of stuff but and I could be wrong here but he makes too many decisions which are too closely related to first team football and he's not mm. a footballing man so yeah. and and maybe I'm a bit old school but when you've got people who sort of don't get football making football decisions it's never it's never going to work and and I feel I feel that's and and when you mix the two together, so you've got uh, your chief exec or whatever his title is that he's give himself, who has admittedly openly said that he doesn't know much about football when he first came over. I don't know you can learn the game, but he's not a footballing man. He's not a footballing man. And then when you've got owners who are quite, I won't say openly admitting that they're not going to invest in the club, but, you know, the signs are there. It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, I, I always 
say that about you know, whoever they laugh about United, and especially the Ed Woodward years. Mm. They didn't. They didn't. But they appointed bankers, not football men, overseeing yeah. football decisions, and it's just yeah. weird. And it's like, why are you doing this? They only had a director of football in two thousand twenty-one, I think, after Woodward went. So it's so frustrating, isn't it, when you get players in these, uh, you get men in these positions, mm. usually men anyway, that just aren't. Yeah. They aren't qualified yeah, yeah, to do that I, job. So I mean, the way football's going now, you do you do need people um, who are business minded and get business and understand how to grow a brand because that's all football is now. It's about oh yeah, you've got to have the commercial side. Yeah, yeah. So so one hundred percent, there is a need for that in professional football clubs, even your Championship League One, League Two, even your conference clubs. Um, but you've got to sort of caveat that with somebody who knows football, who gets football, who understands football, to then make those decisions around the footballing side and not the commercial side. And the, the two have to work together. Well, reading between the lines from an email you sent me yesterday, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here and say you're not a fan of O'Neill either, as a manager. <laughs> yeah. Have I read that right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, your email shall remain private forever. So I've deleted it now. I mean, I don't think we should – well, not that we got – did we get rid of Lopetegui? Did he leave? Did he walk? Who knows? But – you know, for me, it's a major downgrade. And, uh, you know, I apologise if that comes across as disrespectful to, to Gary Arnold, you know, because um, I'm, I'm sure he's a, he's a great guy. But and it seemed harsh for him to be fired from his previous job, to be honest, at the time. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but... but yeah. Did he have a great record at Bournemouth? Possibly, because, obviously, the position I was in last season. But, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's... You're replacing... Lopetegui for Gary O'Neill, it's it, 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 it's just not going to work. I, I don't believe Gary O'Neill is is of the Premiership level to to manage or coach a team. Well, maybe not coach because, to be fair, from the little snippets that the club put out of the coaching session, I would say he, he looks like a, a half decent. He looks like a good coach. He look he does actually look like a good coach. Um, but from the management side of things, and and maybe even you could argue the tactical side of things. I feel that's where he falls short. And the Premier League, it's an unforgiving league, you know, and, and we've, we've found that out already several times this season. But it's it's just the little things like the in-game management, um, mm. reacting to the opposition making tactical changes, mid-game substitutions, stuff like that. That's where I believe it's a weakness of Gary O'Neill's and that's and we're going to get found out, and we already have. I mean, we've got we'll take the Liverpool game for example. I'm not sure if you watched it, but for the first forty-five minutes, it was absolutely fantastic. Now, Liverpool are a much better footballing football team than Wolverhampton Wanderers. You know, there's no denying mm. that. So, they was always going to come out in the second half and 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 put more pressure on them what they did in the first half because there's no way a Jurgen Klopp team is going to come to come and play Wolves and, and get dominated for two halves of football. It's just never going to happen. So, you know, we're watching the game and you can see the changes that Klopp's made at half-time. You know, he's brought a couple of couple of new players on. Um, he's made a little tactical tweak. He's playing his full-backs up a lot higher. And you're just looking at Wolves' reaction to that and there's none. Yeah. And and then Liverpool go on to completely dominate the second half, win 3-1 and, and the rest is history. Well, it started so well with that. I mean, I know you lost, but you were obviously hard done by at Old Trafford. Lopetegui set us up for that game. Yeah. That was Lopetegui's tactics. He set us up for that game. 
Right. Um, so that's why we look so good. <laughs> and now, yeah, so you don't expect many, but you could sit, but that just shows you the potential of the squad you've still got despite yeah, all the departures. Yeah, def- definitely. Which must make yeah. it even more frustrating for you. 100%. I mean, we've, 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 you could argue that we've struggled for the last two seasons, especially scoring goals. Mm. But, you know, when you look at the players that we've had or we've got, I mean, I don't know what outsiders think of Wolves, but it's like, why are Wolves struggling so so bad? You know, I'm, I mean, Brighton have excelled above us now. But over the last couple of years, like your clubs like Villa, Fulham, Palace, like, you, you know, those those teams that finish 8th to 12th, maybe 14th. Yeah. Why we should comfortably, and I'm sorry if that makes me sound like arrogant, but Wolves should comfortably be in that position season in, season out with the infrastructure we've got, the squad we've got, the players we've got, the wages that we're paying. And and anything, for me, anything below 12th, maybe give or take 14th, it's a failure. Uh, as an outsider, I would always say, right, what do you think of Wolves? I would say, Technically brilliant sides and utterly frustrating as well. Mm. <laughs> In that, yeah. yeah, the scoreboard never really truly reflects the potential of you know what you see on the pitch. Uh, no. I think no. I would be quite frustrated, but of course, even more so right now. And departures is part of that. Look, I am old enough to know when. Well, when I was growing up, I just wanted to get to Wembley once in my life. And I <laughs> yeah. didn't think it was going to be first in a full Members' Cup final and then a playoff final. Mm-hmm. But what annoys me as an outsider is when clubs like Wolves, or, you know, you're not going to win the league, but mm-hmm. you shouldn't get relegated either. Mm-hmm. You could win a domestic cup easily. So 100%. the midweek game, am I right in saying that must have been absolutely... I wouldn't say devastating, but so frustrating for you to be 2 0 yeah. up. And I don't know if he made changes, O'Neill, or whatever, but as a fan, do you want to see your side taking both domestic cups seriously? 100%. I mean, you know, uh, supporting Wolves, we're never going to win the league. We're not even going to make the top four. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So for us, we have to take the cup seriously. And, you know, clubs like Palace, Everton, Brentford, Fulham, Brighton, Villa, all those, that, that level of clubs, they should be taking the cups as seriously as yeah. possible. Um, for me, there's no, there's, I don't see no reason why Wolves can't make a cup quarterfinal in one of the cups every three or four years. Um, yeah. So to lose that game, I mean, because obviously it's look at the draw as well. So we've got Blackpool first round, lower division, Ipswich the next round lower division and you're thinking with a with a kind draw you can have a run in any cup any team can have a run if if the draw is kind to them um and don't get me wrong no disrespect to Ipswich they're flying at the moment they're doing really well in the championship so it's always going to be a potential banana skin but to completely fall apart to a team a division below who have made 10 changes themselves wow yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, to then go two nil up within the first twenty minutes or however long mm. it was, and then just completely lose control of the game—it's it's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. And yeah, the players have to take some responsibility for that. But again, Ipswich made a couple of changes, grew into the game, and what was Gary O'Neill's reaction? Not good enough. Not good enough. I mean, watching the game and looking at the last 15, 20 minutes, you know, we've, we've gone from 2 nil up to 3-2 down. We're playing a team, a division below. You know, we're, we're a, I think it's fair to say we're an established Premier League team now. And to not box 
box them in, not pin them in, not apply any pressure for the last 15, 20 minutes is unforgivable in in the League Cup because, you know, like, like you mentioned originally, we've got to be taking these Cups seriously because it's probably our best route into Europe. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, you, you bring you back some bad memories for me now as well. Yeah, cup performances. <laughs> it's so frustrating, it really yeah. is. I mean, that you know, managers that prioritise league results over cup. I think cup games can re- really reinvigorate the season anyway. Uh, a cup run can actually aid league performances rather than thinking, oh, I don't want to get any injuries or tire the players out. So, 100%. Is, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. a believer in that. Confidence breeds confidence yeah. and winning breeds winning. Um, so to sort of, well, yeah, to throw that opportunity away, which we did, we threw it away. It's a massive kick in the teeth. Obviously, the fans at the moment, it's, it's we're not in a good place. <laughs> you know, we are not in a good place at the moment. And relationships between the team, the club and the fans need to be built again. And one thing that can majorly help that when you're struggling in the league is a cup yeah. run. Yeah. So he's not helped his reputation nah. at all, though, nearly in a way. Nah. Because, we'll, you know, we'll probably get Man City or Liverpool away in the third or if we're looking off the fourth round of the FA Cup, which we'll inevitably lose. So then that's that cup out the window. Whereas mm-hmm. the League Cup, especially teams in our position, the League Cup, you've really got to give it a good go because in, in that competition, let's say we was to draw Manchester City, obviously we can't now because we're both out. But let's say we was to draw Manchester City, mm-hmm. That's the best chance you've got of playing a weekend Manchester City team in the League Cup. Well, if we'd got to the quarterfinals, we can't play it. We couldn't play it. We're in Saudi Arabia, so... Really? What, what, what for? That the World Club, 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 yeah, when you win the Champions oh, League, yeah. So City couldn't, City couldn't win the Carabao. I mean, I think it happened to Liverpool a couple of years ago. They put a youth team out. We'd have to have put yes. a youth team out. Yeah. So it would have been... Yeah, so I, I was in a weird situation thinking, well, we kind of need to lose to Newcastle during the week, mm. whilst not enjoying losing. I would, don't, would never enjoy losing a football game. So, yeah, it is the... Look, even City won the lots of it. So, some of my best experiences, and it's not just about winning the big things in Champions League. We've mm-hmm. won the, the Carabao, I think, four times or five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the best days out I've had at Wembley were those. Uh, without the tension of a Champions League final... It's a trophy and you should try and win trophies, whoever you are. It's just try, try. You want your fans to have a day out at Wembley. You want these, it's about experiences, not just like banter yeah. on Twitter. And yeah, it's such a shame really when managers don't take these opportunities. Cause you're right. You know, there was a, there's a point where City, the list of teams that had been to Wembley since City last had included like Chesterfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, no offense to Chesterfield. Yeah. Who I think and you know, it was literally most of the teams in the country. And it's like, we just want to get to Wembley. Yeah. Anyway. Want that yeah. experience as a fan. And the League Cup's a great way because you know, yeah, if you do meet Arsenal, they've they won't put out their first team. And yeah, yeah it, it's a shame really. It? Uh, it is. Well, before we talk about the match, finally, I knew we wouldn't keep this under 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, Mateus Nunes, I've got, yeah, I'm sorry to bring that up. Were you surprised at City's interest in him? Do you think he'll be a success at City? He started, he's been tidy and pretty well, but I think even for City fans, it was quite a surprise. And we'll be honest, we did have other targets, you know, that, did, yeah. that fell through. So Yeah. Um, 
Am I surprised? Yes and no. Like, I'm surprised because, if I'm being honest, and this is with no bitterness or anything, but for mm. us, it was average. It was very, yeah. very average. Um, but but we could all see that there is a player in, in there. So from that point of view, I'm not surprised that a club like Manchester City have taken a gamble on him, we could say maybe, uh, because mm. there is definitely a very good player in, in Mateus Nunes. Uh, but I am surprised because I don't think he performed at a level last season that would have pricked the ears of, of a club like Manchester City. Mm. I just Pat don't think he was standing there. Picked him up, didn't he, a year ago or so? so yeah, yeah. Saw so something I, in it. But. I do believe that you know there are rumours that the the move to City was already agreed when he signed for Wolves. Really? Wow. So, yeah, so it was just a stepping stone. Just get him in oh. the country, get him yeah. acclimatised to the Premier League for a year and then we'll get him off to Man City. Well, your recruitment process is, yeah, slightly left field, is it not, <laughs> compared to some <laughs> yeah. others? So. Yeah. Uh, do you think he'll yeah. get a a good reception coming back to Wolves or nah. indifferent? Or? Nah, he's a rat. He's a rat. <laughs> You know, going on strike now. You're a rat, mate, and I hope yeah. you. I hope you get. Well, I say I hope you get booed, but does it matter if I was on hundred grand a week and I went to some club I didn't care about? Let's say I don't know Everton as a returning player and the booed me. I'd be like, I don't care because I'm money and I'm just going to play a game of football now and go back home. I fully understand that. In that part of your problem with the way you recruit players as well that using super agent that you feel sometimes players are just passing through or that it's not done. It's weird. I just had this idea of old 20 years ago that the manager, you know, chooses players and that he wants mm. playing for him. And, and so, much, so much football recruitment is done. It's not just like managing to make a team better. It's just like agents and all like things yeah. behind the scenes that make no sense in a way. And it can be, it's been brilliant for Wolves in many respects, but it, there's obviously a downside to it as well. You restrict your options recruiting the way you do. Yeah, but I suppose on the flip side to that, if mm. you would have said to me 10 years ago, you know what, Luke, Wolves are going to sign loads of players. And they're then going to go on to clubs like Liverpool and Man City. We're used to our players coming, being absolutely dog shit, and then moving to Preston North End. <laughs> because yeah. we're not we're not used to having players of that quality to go on to bigger and better things. Um, no, hey. off the top of my head, I can think of a handful like Robbie Key went to Coventry, Lescott went to Everton, and then Man City. Mm. Um, I can't really think. I mean, there's probably more, but I can't really think of any more that we've had in the era previous to this era. So, so it, it is quite kind of nice at the same time, in yeah. a in a weird way. Hey, Preston are flying anyway. So, <laughs> oh yeah, they'll be higher than us in the next couple of years if things carry on. Uh, right, yeah, the match. Then I'm gonna guess. Now, I I was under the impression that these are always close matches. You've given so many problems in the past. And then I looked up. There was won the last two three nil, and then there was the five. The five one at Wolves was without doubt the greatest individual performance I've ever seen from a City yeah. player. In that Kevin yeah. De Bruyne, literally, yeah. I don't know if he was on drugs that night because even by his levels, that was just unreal. Obscene. <laughs> I've never, I, I've never seen anything like. You know, we probably if he'd been injured that night, we could have been a problem in that game. But he just like went, nope, not having it, uh, and just yeah, I've never seen anything like it, even from him. 
uh, or any of the other City players that come through. Uh, but yeah, before then, there was that dodgy penalty we won a game with, was it not? Uh, was it Coutinho that was given the game? So, anyway, it was it was the softest of penalties. You've beaten us, of course, and we had 10 men one match. Mm. But where we're both at now, City, I know we've won all games, but it has not been plain sailing at all. You have no optimism for this match at all? I think if we can keep it below four, I'd, I'd take that as a positive. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, City, the, the best team in the world. <laughs> because mm. of it, they are the best team in the world. Light years ahead of, of what we are. You know, I know at the end of the day, it's 11 v 11 or 16 v 16 now with how the subs work. But we, we, need, we need to be on a massive, massive on day and City to be on a massive, massive off day. If you can get somebody sent off early doors, pick up a couple of muscle injuries that force players off in the first half, we might have a chance of sneaking a point. But no, nah, I'm not not optimistic at all. We're, we're, we're crap, mate. We are absolutely crap. We're clueless. <laughs> it's like we've got no style. We've got no philosophy. We're just all over the shop at the minute. Uh, so where did that first half against Liverpool come from then? It shows they have the potential, but I guess you would say over 90 minutes, you, you, don't, you can't sustain it. Well, well, this is it, you know. So, uh, obviously, we do pose a threat. We do have some good players. We're, we're not mm. a complete write-off, I suppose. After I've said all that, you know, like Pedro Neto, he's found his form again. What a player he is when he's on form. He'll probably be playing for you yeah. or Liverpool next season. Um, you know, if Kuna on his day, if he can United, learn how to yeah. shoot, he's not a bad player. You know, Lamina and Gomez in the middle, absolute rats, like, but in a positive way. You know, they won't give you a second piece. Um, Samado, absolutely slated by the fans, nine weeks out of ten. But for me, very good right back. Mm. Um, I like Bueno and Ait Nuri at left back as well. I do have concerns over the centre halves. Um, so, but but you know, it's we're not we're not completely terrible and if things do click on the day and if things don't click for Man City could we sneak something possibly but I'll be honest with you mate I think you'll beat us 3-0 okay is that your actual well yeah I was just going to say the score prediction at the end but just before we wrap up then how do you see the game panning out does O'Neill change formation yeah City are used to sometimes having low blocks and teams playing dead. Would O'Neill do that or do you just play your normal way, whoever the opposition is? I've got no idea what he's going to do. No. Me personally, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd go back to three at the back. You know, I don't like, yeah. I don't think Dawson and Kilman work as, as a as a two, um, especially the games when we're playing a high line with Craig Dawson at centre-half with next to Max Kilman, it's suicide. Um, so me personally, I'll go, I'll, I'll go back to about three, and I'd have Samado and then either Bueno, um, Hoy, uh, maybe go back to the, the the sort of style and shape and system that Nuno had us playing. Yeah. Um, but I'd, he, he tried it against Ipswich in the week, and I suppose it worked for twenty minutes, and then Ipswich made their tweaks and their changes, and that's where O'Neill falls short. So. The second, even if we're playing well, and we are putting Man City under a little bit of pressure, Pep's not mug. He'll see. He'll see right. He'll see straight through it. Make his changes. Make his tweaks. And O'Neill will be lost at soon. 
Okay. Well, I hope you're right, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting a tough game. Maybe I'm just the no. you know, I am known as I a hope pessimist. I'm wrong, and I hope I hope when when your listeners listen back to this, they're like. What is he smoking like? He has not oh, no. got a clue what he's talking about. Well, Wolves are actually class. I can't believe they've beat us 3 0. <laughs> well, I had Sheffield United fan on, and you know, it's like they've all said the same. And it's like, you know, and we, they equalised in the 87th minute, and we had to, and we got a, a winner, thankfully, after that. So, well, mate, football's a funny old game, ain't it? It, it is, of course. It'd be boring otherwise, wouldn't it? Exactly. And that's why we if love it. If literally it goes how you think it will go, then yeah, there'd be no point in any of this. So, so you're going for a nil three then? Yeah, nil three, Pedro Neto hat trick. Let's switch you up. <laughs> We're gonna beat you three nil. Let's have that. Oh, right, you nah, turned I'm, it around. Okay, well, I think it'll be two nil. I don't think it'll be quite as comfortable, but we will see. Uh, we will see indeed. Yeah. Anyway, Luke, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us. I really no, appreciate it. No and, uh, yeah, and as always, after the weekend, all the best with the rest of the season. Hope it picks up. Excellently. Especially Love when you next play Liverpool United and Arsenal, please. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much once more. All right, we'll return to the panel now. So Luke's not entirely optimistic there. But <laughs> you <laughs> could say that. That bodes well. <laughs> um, right, there's a couple of guys I really want to talk about today. Um, in in the, the, the nucleus of a City squad, they stand out by their age, their potential, how exciting it is to watch them. That lovely warm feeling you get from seeing someone come through the academy and boss it. Uh, Oscar Bob and Rico Lewis. Um, I would say that Rico Lewis stands out of the two by virtue of the fact that he's got more kind of experience. His kind of, you know, um, breakthrough, if you like, occurred last season rather than this season. Um, but who's to say that Oscar Bob doesn't go on to become an outright superstar in his own right? Um, Lloyd, I want to come to you first. Uh, how do you view each player respectively? Do you, how highly do you rate them? So I think Asan summarised. Rico really well on the review the other day, which is that he's just he's just so trusted by Pep now that I think and in any game Pep would be and the fans, yeah, correct. Yeah. Pep would be very happy to throw him in and just be like, Look, I'm comfortable with you, I trust you. And and that's, you know, right back, left back. I think Pep would even play him in midfield if we had to. Um and I I think Phillips' struggle struggles to kind of adapt could mean I don't think it's totally out of the realms that Rico like played played six in a game if we had a big injury crisis. So that's a, a, and that sounds like faint praise, but really for Guardiola and like we've seen how few kind of youth players really kind of take the stranglehold of the team. I think that's enormous praise at his age. I think he's still only nineteen, Rico. So look, yeah, I think he's he's here to stay, um, and that's 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 a huge props for him. Oscar Bob. Well, that was his first start, wasn't it, for City the mm. other night? Um, I thought he looked great. Um, his kind of decision-making of knowing when to come in from the side and to step into midfield and receive the ball off, like Phil has done a lot this season from the right, and knowing when to hold his position, I thought kind of showed intelligence beyond his years. And there were a lot of good touches there. Um, you know, the pass to Alvarez where he probably overhit it just slightly, um, you know, we're really kind of, you know, picking picking bones there. But <laughs> yeah. I thought he showed a lot. I, th- I thought he showed a lot, and uh, t- I mean, technically, he's obviously 
of a very very high level and yeah I, th- I think you can see possibly why they've gone to McAtee mm, you know you can go on loan again mate but we're going to keep this guy around um, which ultimately I think means he's going to play probably more football than we would have expected this season be- mainly because of the squad and injuries but I think that was a performance that really kind of made me stand up and go oh, okay this guy this guy's very much here because it's one thing doing it in pre-season it's another thing doing it against what is, you know, another Champions League team away in a difficult game when when a lot of the starting players aren't playing mm, and it's up to someone yeah. to kind of make a make an impression. That's he backs himself he, he backs right. himself to 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 get out of whatever situation he is. He uses his skill and his talent. He shows bravery. Um he, he he's got the the kind of the final pass. He's got it. The final shot, he's got it. The vision to see, he's got it. There's a lot, there's a, so much to be so excited about with Oscar Bob. And I, I'm, you know, I said it in the summer and I'll say it again now. He'll be a City player for some years to come. He's not one that, he feels closer to Foden than he does, than anybody else has done. Than, closer than Palmer felt, closer than McAtee felt. <clears throat> there's something about him that for me, it's very much real deal territory. Okay, well, I'm staying with your nice, and because you mentioned, was it you or Lloyd? I can't remember who mentioned McAtee. Um, and this is absolutely no reflection on McAtee or any of the other players I'm alluding to here. I'm not talking anyone down, I'm talking up Oscar Bob and Rico Lewis in this regard. But we, City, sold or loaned out some fantastic young talents this summer and in the past kind of you know, calendar year. Why have these two been kept, do you think? Is it purely down to their ability or is there other factors such as how they best kind of assimilate into Pep's thinking and maybe even kind of, you know, attitude as well? Well, I think I think actually the, the most important thing is what the player wants. I think <clears throat> Bob obviously wanted to stay this summer. I, I saw an interview with his agent in the summer saying we've had calls from the, some of the top clubs in the world and some of the top clubs in Europe, but we're not going anywhere. Um, City want to use him. They want to keep him and he wants to stay and train with Pep. And I think that's quite different from somebody like McAtee, who, with all due respect, if you want to go play for Sheffield United, when you have the opportunity to stay and be in this City team, knowing that Palmer's gone, knowing how small the squad is, well, uh, it's funny how when he went to Sheffield United, I was a little bit nonplussed in that. I was like, yeah, whatever. If you want to go, go. As the weeks have passed, I'm just like, what a stupid career move. Yes. For all of the the hype around James McAtee, he's obviously not got it between his ears because, and that's probably the most important place where you need to have it if you want to go to the very top is you've got to have something between your ears. And I just don't see how anybody with anything between their ears goes, I don't want to play at Leicester. I don't want to play for Maresca. I don't want to play in the championship. Knowing that I've played there, I know how to play there. I'm going to play with a coach who plays in the way that Pep plays, where I'm going to be, my attacking talent is going to be on show every week. I don't want to go there. I want to go to Sheffield United and do doggies in a fucking terrible team. <laughs> nah, mate. Laters. I've got to say, though, if, if City prized 
a player's ability, you know, want to stay that highly, then, you know, Calvin Phillips would be a starter every week because <laughs> <laughs> he too wanted to stay. Too, but no, I, I absolutely go with you. I mean, and I completely agree about McAtee as well. I think that is a decision he's going to look back on in years to come. I think, yeah, I, I boo-booed there. I really boo-booed. Um, okay, Lloyd, just quick, kind of quickly before we move on, on, on Bob and, and Lewis, how high can they, can they go? What, what's, what's their ceilings? Uh, I would say that, boy, it's early days, isn't it? I would say that Bob's ceiling feels higher than Lewis's. Okay. But that's because Lewis is a very, he's just very unflashy, isn't he? He's so dependable. He he is Mr. Consistent. And so a player like that, you know, naturally you think, oh, the ceiling isn't that high. But that's... That it's, it's kind of not a criticism though. I think to be a player like that is very rare, and they are perfect players to have in your squad. But sometimes those kind of players do surprise you um, in just kind of developing incrementally and and and, and hitting a, a ridiculous ceiling. Like you know, was was Kyle Walker that good at eighteen, nineteen? He probably wasn't. I didn't watch him at the time. Um. Bob's ceiling feels higher. Maybe that's just because he's an attacking player and he's shown yeah. like ridiculous yeah. kind of bits of quality. But um, I, yeah, I, I do agree with Asan on the kind of he's shown more Foden flashes already than than maybe the other two Palmer and McAtee have. Albeit, it sounds like Palmer played really well for Chelsea the other night and is going to start in the league now, which will be very interesting to see. Hmm. Um, so yeah. I mean, really difficult question to answer, I think, when they're both 19. But it feels like Bob's got a higher ceiling, but that, in a way, isn't a criticism of Lewis, like I say, because I think to be as relied upon as he is at his age by Pep is super, super, super rare. Yeah. I mean, should say I think, as well. Oh, so, go on. Uh, sorry, Steve. I was just going to say, I think this, the for me, it's almost they probably have the same ceiling, but in different ways in that I kind of look at Lewis like I look at Gundo, right? And so it's like, well, Gundo ended up being a world-class footballer, just like Phil Foden is a world-class footballer. And so what I feel with Lewis and with Bob is that they both have the potential to be world-class footballers in their positions. And with Bob, the thing is that because he plays in an attacking position, because he'll get goals and assists and he'll get that flash and razzmatazz, it feels as though, well, his ceiling is higher. But for me, it's maybe maybe it's a little bit more nuanced than the idea of whose ceiling is higher because I think that they can both go on and be world-class players. They're just very different players. Yeah. And the point I was going to make, and it's, it's only, it doesn't even relate to City, but Oscar Bob, Erling Haaland, Martin Odegaard, Norway have got some really good players and they're struggling consistently to qualify for tournaments. Uh, if that continues, then you've got to look at managers there because just with those three alone... Some attack, isn't it? Yeah. I they've, mean, got a, they've, got, they've got a left winger um, who is like 19 and plays because Bob is still in the under-21s. Yeah. <clears throat> They've got a 19-year-old in the first team who looks like a worldie as well. His name escapes me right now. Bloody but hell. He, he, looks, he looks really, really, really good. So there's a few, they've got a few there. Um, we have time to kind of properly discuss one of two uh, 
we've got two kind of options here. Um, I'm going to basically suggest that we quickly talk about Spurs and Liverpool this weekend and then get on to the other matter at hand because that's far more fun to talk about. So just very quickly, obviously Spurs playing Liverpool this weekend, the marquee game of the weekend. Uh, both run beating as City are. Um, a lot of people are predicting a cakewalk this season for City, Lloyd. Do you anticipate Spurs or Liverpool sustaining a title challenge? Oh, good question. Um, I think Liverpool at the moment look like the closest challengers to City, but they've 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 not played amazingly in a few of the games. I have watched quite a lot of them, and in a difference to City, it does feel like the other team is in the game a lot more than than kind of Liverpool's best sides, where they really kept other teams an arm's length and they control games more. Now, Van Dijk has been out for the last few, but even with him in, the defence doesn't feel like what it did two, three years ago. That mm. being said, Arsenal really haven't looked at it, I don't think, this season. They've they've not looked like the Arsenal of last season. And I think actually their results have kind of uh, above and away from what their performances have shown. Yeah. So I would I would have Liverpool probably at the moment as City's biggest challengers, also because they've got Klopp and they've been there, they've bought the t-shirt, they know how to push the City team. Spurs Spurs are still a bit of a unknown, but I don't think they could be doing any better, to be honest, than what they are. Um Big Ange has kind of taken the the Prem by storm. Gotta give Chris a pack his props because he he called it a year ago saying he's gonna he be did. Premier League manager. He did. Yeah. Um and you know, everyone is kind of on the train with him because his interviews are amazing. The way he just deals with the press is just really refreshing. Um, so yeah, look, Spurs, I think Spurs are probably going to make top four as things stand. And that is a phenomenal achievement, really, given the fact that they've lost Kane, they've had to rebuild the team. You're kind of, you're massively in uh, in transition. And then, you know, you consider teams like Chelsea, maybe United, etc. don't finish in the top four given the money that they've spent. I wouldn't have them down as title challengers just yet, but the big thing that they've got is they have they have got the ability not to play Europe. And so if you get on a bit of a run, a bit like I think it was Conte's um first season when they won the league, you can you can really go week to week from like February, March mm. onwards if you're still in the run. So yeah. that is something to keep an eye on. But I think right now I wouldn't have them kind of down as title challengers. And um, Aysan, when you're watching Let's kind of boil it down to three because they're the most realistic, I would say. But when you're watching Arsenal, Spurs and Liverpool play this season, um, are you wanting them to lose from a City perspective? Um, like a good example maybe of how you feel about Spurs and Liverpool, are you hoping they draw this weekend from a City perspective or do you not regard them as genuine title challenges? Um. Right now, I don't know is the honest answer. I feel as though, I feel as though it's actually really early in the season still, and I, I find it very difficult to know, like who who nobody, uh, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, uh, United. None of those teams to me look like they can carry a level of consistency right now yeah i think they all have flaws that are going to hold them back in terms of the the contrast with city so 
Yeah, I, I don't know right now. Okay, that's fair. Um, I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm kind of open-minded about it. I do, I've got quite a strong feeling that Arsenal aren't going to be at it, as Lloyd uh, suggested as well. I, I, I agree. I don't think they're the same team as last season. Um, it's Liverpool for me. I think Liverpool are the one who could sustain it. They've got a, a young, remodelled, energetic midfield, and it's it's really kind of... We've still got problems at the back, um, and we're not in the finished article yet. Clock 2.0, as it's been called, but they are an improved proposition for me. So, so Bozlai looks good, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does, and if he can keep him fit all season, then, yeah, it could be problems. I want to end today with a bit of an anniversary uh, special because five years ago tomorrow, City beat Chelsea 1-0 at Stamford Bridge. Um, Chelsea were the reigning champions at the time. City, we've had one season of Pep Guardiola. Suddenly, we just started the season just looking phenomenal and basically the team that we've come to know and love. Um that particular afternoon or that evening at Stamford Bridge, 17 shots, 62% possession. Like I say, a superb uh, KDB performance and goal. Aysan, I know you're not one for reminiscences, Aysan, on nostalgia, but it's a lovely kind of period <laughs> of time. I mean, when you look back at that, that season, in that five-game period, City beat Liverpool 5-0 in, in one of the most memorable games, really. Thrashed Watford 6-0, thrashed Palace 5-0, went to Stamford Bridge and beat the Champions 1-0. And then a couple of weeks after, the 7-2 against Stoke, which is arguably one of the finest performances I've ever seen from a footballing side. What an era that was. Yeah, you know, I'm not one for nostalgia, but you picked a hell of a game. So, <laughs> so uh, you said it's tomorrow. Tomorrow's my birthday. So that game landed on my birthday. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, rem- I remember it vividly because my wife had arranged a birthday party for me. And I told her I was going to be late because I was watching City Chelsea in a different bar. <laughs> so there was, there was a bar where my birthday party was going on. And there was a, another bar about a 15-minute walk away where where I sat and watched, uh, watched that game. Uh, I, I, I feel as though, I think that, because of the previous season had been a little bit up and down, mm. I, I feel as though that moment, that, that that run of games, that was the moment that we all looked around at each other and went, "We're a Pep Guardiola team now." Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, we're this is real. This is not. This is not a simulation. This is not fake. This this team is next level. I mean, and I, I think you know the our, that that Stamford Bridge game, like people talk about KDB loving playing against Arsenal. He loves playing against Chelsea too. Make no bones about it. Yeah. He, he takes things, he takes things personally. You can tell that with Kev and he loves playing against Chelsea. And I think that goal, that game, the control in that performance, the the fact that they didn't lay a glove on us. They really didn't lay a glove on yeah. us. And, and we really, we, we went to their manor and dominated them. I, I think it was, and as you say, like the Stoke game was round the corner. Liverpool had take it, taken a serious beating already that season. I mean, we were, yeah. I mean, it was the, it, it, I don't want to say it was like the best pep team because I think all of the pep teams in, have had their own um, characteristics and their own merits. Um, but maybe it was the most fun Guardiola team. Yeah. That's yeah, it was just that kind of, you know, David was still still there, KDB was there, Aguero was still there. You had Raz and and, and Leroy. It just it it had something, 
it had something about it. You know what I mean? It was just, it was, it just bags of fun, bags and bags of fun. And actually, funnily enough, considering how down I was at the start of the season on on our style of play, uh, if not the results, then I actually think that this team now is becoming heaps of fun to watch. Like having so many ball carriers in the team, I think Doku's made a big difference. Funnily enough. I think Nunes has made has made a difference. I think playing Foden and Alvarez behind Haaland has clicked. And now that it's clicked, they look, you know, they just look like bags of fun. And so it does maybe take me back to that era of, of fun pep football. How do you land on that, Lloyd? Um, I, I, I tend to think that this, this was a team, as Alexander said, was bags of fun and they we got 100 points and maybe there's a bit of bias as regards to this was the first time I'd seen a City team play this extraordinarily well but I think this is Pep's greatest City side Um, how do you land on it? Why is that? Why do I think they're the greatest Pep side? Mm, Yeah I'm interested to hear Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they, well, they got a hundred points. It was a, they, they thrashed like the likes of Liverpool. That seven-two against Stoke was. It was like seeing City as Brazil, and for the first time as well, it was just like what this. I couldn't get my head around it. Um, there's it a midfield. It was David Silva and KDB. There was you know basically everything what Aysan said earlier as well with kind of um, Sane and Sterling on either flanks. And we absolutely demolished sides. We, we had flaws still, uh, more more evident in more evident in Europe than domestically, but we absolutely demolished that league. Um, and we we've we've done so since. But I think ever since we've gone more towards control and you know dominating the league in that way. This was more extravagant and stylish. And so in that regard, I, I just think it's a, the best, the greatest of all Pep sides. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, it's hard to disagree with that, but I, I do think last season's team is the best okay. team we've seen under Pep. I think I think it's, I think think it would be the hardest to beat, say, in a Champions League final if you played it. Um, so, sorry to interrupt, I know we would, played that well. Would you say, I would say last season's was most complete City team not the best and I would make that distinction yeah would you go along with that yeah yeah I know what you mean I think like defensively it'd be way harder to beat last season's team I think than the team of 2017-18 that team was is more likely to outscore you in like a 4-3 or something Um, I know yeah I know I know what both you and Ace I mean about that being like the most fun team like back to front but I do feel like this new team he's building this season feels probably the most fun since that season with Mm. Doku with Nunes being able to travel between the thirds we feel a bit more like we could go back to front quickly obviously as against the team you know the two false nine seasons where you know it was very kind of control football it was very right to left um, in terms of like sustaining attacks, um, really not trying to go in behind much. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I guess complete versus versus best is, it's hard how you define that. Isn't it? <laughs> it but is I know exactly best. what you mean by saying that's, that's, that's the best. 
Um, it's, I'm just going to kind of end on you on this point. Um, going back to basically this being the first time we've seen this kind of football, I think we, to our credit, I would say, myself, yourself, Lloyd, Howard, everyone connected to 20, and every City fan we encounter as well in live shows, I think to our enormous credit, we are still wide-eyed when it comes to Pep Guardiola. We are still blown away by the football that we see, and we still find it hard to equate that football with Manchester City, with a club that we supported growing up and, and, you know, all the kind of turmoil and struggles that we encountered. Yet still, it's human nature, isn't it? Where If we're watching City put five past Wolves tomorrow, that'll feel great. But it felt better back then, didn't it? Because it was the first time. Yeah, definitely. I think that's I think that's part of where the nostalgia a yeah. little bit creeps in. I think that, you know, Lloyd's sort of right that maybe in a cold, pragmatic way, well, last season's team was quote unquote better. Mm. And they were better because they were defensively better and they had Haaland, right? But for me, they're not better than than that 17-18 team because 17-18 team did 100 points. And I think 100 points was an incredible achievement in that period of time and also i just feel as though again maybe maybe fun kind of patronizes them i'm sorry but they ripped teams to shreds yeah. like you know violently ripped teams to shreds and and they did things on the pitch that were just like if you go back to that stoke game and you look at some of the assists that kevin de bruyne played in that game you're talking about the stuff of legend. You're talking about stuff that you maybe see once or twice in a lifetime. Yeah. I think that I can make the, I can absolutely see pragmatically, you can go, well, we did the treble last season and we're defensively better and blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But for me, 17, 18 team will always be the one. Like I think that when Pep finally goes, right, and we get very nostalgic about like that era and we think about those seasons, 17, 18 and last season, it'll be very difficult to separate the two in terms of one and two. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I've I've got the BBC kind of uh, match report in front of me uh, from the Chelsea game. It says uh, a city without striker Sergio Aguero, who sustained rib injuries in a car crash in Amsterdam. That's so very two, uh, 2017, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, remember I remember that, that now. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, lads, and that's about it for today. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and you've both done so exceedingly well. Thank you very much for joining us today, particularly in your holidays, Lloyd. Oh, pleasure. No worries. So, I hope the uh, I hope the weather doesn't improve. Sorry, did I say doesn't? No, I mean I hope the weather improves, Lloyd. I hope you have a lovely rest of your holiday. I I hope you just have Says one the really guy that lives bad in Ibiza day. And we have to lit. <laughs> we have to listen to. Oh, it's it's cloudy today. Oh well, actually, by my pool, it's actually <laughs> lovely. Hey, uh, Sam, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Please check out the 9320 platform. There's loads of a plethora of brilliant podcasts and content out there for everyone. Um, and thanks, most of all, for, you, for just listening in today. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. All the best. And forever up. Thanks, Sam. Up the loose.